Welcome to Psychos and Sociopaths. Today we're going to divvy into uh, something that I just found out this weekend. Uh, it's about Robert Durst. He was a real estate mogul. And basically, if you watch the documentary on HBO Max, uh, it's called The Jinx. He literally told everybody that he murdered his, his wife. Yeah. He for, okay. The, the spoiler alert on this one, uh, and you can you can look at this on YouTube. Look at the thing. Uh, I don't know how true this is because even the uh, filming director, uh, after it was all done for the court case and everything, which is still happening. Uh, they had to stop it because of COVID, and now they're uh, having it again. Uh, they started in, like, May 2001. And Are you talking about the first first wife, Kathleen McCormick? Yeah, yeah. they originally classified Well, there, there's, there's three victims. Yeah. Uh, but basically what happened was is he did this documentary called The Jinx because a lot of people died on him, and, and he was he's richer than... Uh, richest sin I think his net worth is like four billion dollars yeah and he went to go use the restroom and he still had the mic on and he basically said that he murdered his uh, wife uh, he even he even admitted that he he it, it's really strange because uh, his brother went against him on saying that he watched his mother died with his father. The, the Robert Durst said that he, his father uh, held him while his mother fell down the window or something like that. Yeah, uh, like, like we said last week, you know that hot that hot mic will, will get you. Yes. But uh, yeah, he. Uh, Luckily, I do the editing, so I can edit that shit out if we say anything messed up like that. Right. Um, it's like, ah, dude. <laughs> right? Again with the. Uh, write a book if I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's suspected no of murdering that. three. Yeah. Right. Uh, Kathleen McCormick Durst, who was his first wife, disappeared in New York in 1982. Susan Berman, his longtime friend, who was killed in Los Angeles in 2000, and his neighbor Morris Black, who was killed in Texas in 2001. Um, he became the subject of a multi-state manhunt after Black's body parts were found floating in Galveston Bay. Um, although he admitted to dismembering Black, he was acquitted of murdering him on grounds of self-defense. So, <sighs> I still like his uh, defense right now. Oh, when I, I had the mic on me, I was on meth. That was that was that was his. Uh... So you you were you were high as high as a hippie hippie in a helicopter trying to fly a kite in a courtroom. Yeah, that's that's. Well, so the psychologist much said he would he had a he's schizophrenic. Yeah, but so, uh, the last time I checked, meth is not a. Uh, it is a truth serum. It, while it may be a truth serum to an extent, because you'll, you'll it's basically... not exactly one of those things that you equate to as a treatment for psychosomatic disorders. No, it's a truth serum to the basic fact of you'll basically admit about anything when you're on meth. I, I love the this is a 1953 psychiatrist report on ten year old Robert mentioned personality decomp or decomposition. That is an interesting term. Personality decomposition. Yeah, uh, let me see if I can look that up here. Yeah, because that, that, what does that mean exactly? That his personality is inside of his head just basically gave up and is like, you know what? One of us did it inside his head. We're just trying to figure out which one to kill. Now, according to the experts that we have available to us on the interwebs via Reddit, um, <laughs> it says... What is personality decomp decomposition? Um, somebody asked, uh, you know, can you explain this in layman terms? Um, uh, let me see here. It just reminds me of that one time someone asked me why my nose is bleeding. I told him one of my personalities beating up the other personalities, and he died. 
And the, no, I had to talk to my... Uh, Remember that scene of Wire Liar? I just picked the show. What are you doing? I'm beating the shit out of myself. No, what's really sad is that I had to talk to my manager. And he asked, he's like, did you say this? I was like, yeah. She actually believes that. I was like, no shit. Yeah. Um, there's really not a lot of information about what personality decomposition is. Um, it's a fancy word that... Yeah, let me see here. And I, I should have had this queued up earlier, but uh, let me see here. But... Yeah, I mean, there's... There, I mean, this is one of the few times where the Internet's let us down. Um, I mean, but anytime, like, if you type in personality de or decomposition, you will see the links for Robert Durst. Yeah. But it doesn't explain what it is. Um, so let me do this here. While you're doing that, uh, let me go in here and see if I can find anything. Oh, that was another thing is uh, his first wife's family. Mm -hmm. The three sisters and the mother are suing him for $100 million. Yeah. Okay, so on, uh, let's see here. Still nothing. MeritWebProject.com. Uh, there's an article, Borderline Personality Disorder, or Personality Style and Disorder. Um, the essential feature of borderline personality disorder is a per, per, or pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image, and effects, and marked impulsivity. When a full personality disorder can be diagnosed, there is every indication that the family of origin was a place of excessive chaos. The chaos may have included extreme forms of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, even conditions that might be considered torturous. These conditions may be indicated by the client's desire to mutilate themselves in some way, i.e. cutting themselves. Um, but it really doesn't give anything about like the decomposition portion of that uh, of that diagnosis, so it, it just. I still think it's a made-up term. I, I do. I think you know it's, uh, for lack of a better term, I think it was a psychiatrist's uh, attempt to get published in the New England Medical Journal. So, uh, given it was the '50s, you know we were still doing electroshock therapy back then. Oh, speaking of electroshock therapy, and even back then they were still doing the uh, lobotomy. Yeah. Um, Up until like 1976. Well, you know that there was a federal ban <coughs> on electroshock therapy for people with like autism and things of that nature, right? A federal mm -hmm. court overturned that decision and made it a viable, and said it is a viable treatment for autism again. Me as a, as a child with a, as a parent of a child on the spectrum, that pisses me off because these individuals that have the challenge of autism, whether it's high functioning or low functioning, they're not damaged. They're, they're challenged individuals, pure, plain, and simple. Their brains process information differently than you and I, you know, than yours and I uh, do. Yours and I's. That's proper English. But their, their brains process information on a different scale, on a different wavelength than, than everybody else's does. That doesn't make them defective, doesn't make them damaged. It just gives them an additional challenge that you and I otherwise wouldn't have. And to think that we're going to hook electrodes up to them and make them bite down on a, on a mouthpiece while we sit there and just shock their, their frontal lobes, you're going to do nothing but create not only physical damage, but you're going to create cerebral damage, and you're going to create emotional trauma. I mean, how's that going to be helpful? That's not. That's... that. We have a lot of treatments that are stupid, ridiculous. Because I, I will guarantee you this much. If a, if a doctor came to me or my ex-wife and said, hey, your 10-year-old child, even though he's just got Asperger's and he's very high-functioning, we believe that we can cure it or we can curb the effects of his Asperger's by giving him electroshock therapy, I promise you, I'll catch a charge. Oh, yeah. I will straight punch that doctor square in the mouth I, I you know and, and if I and if that's and you know a physical 
you know, physical intervention, I'll just call it that, is, is not the uh, preferred method, I will go out of my way to make sure that that doctor loses his or her license. Yeah, I would too. Because I, I mean, as a, as a parent, I will defend my kids up to including the cost of my own life. You can, you can, Mar, you can chisel that one in stone. Put it down on record. That that's that's happening. But getting back to Mr. Durst here. Well, the first uh, first victim of his. Uh, in the fall of 1971, Durst met Catherine or Katie McClurk, McCurk, McCurk, McCormick, a medical student. After two dates, he invited McCormick, Mc, Katie, uh, to share his home in Vermont, where he uh, he had opened a health food store. She moved there in 1972. However, Durst's father pressured him to move back to New York to work in the family business. The couple returned to Manhattan where they married in 1973. Durst, 30th birthday. Yeah, April 12th on seven, in 73, which is the year that he turned 30. Uh, McCormick was a student in her fourth and final year at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx, studying to be a pediatrician when she disappeared. Um, she was only a few months short of earning her degree, and McCormick was last seen by someone other than Durst on the evening of January, thir- January 31st of 1982, uh, when she appeared unexpectedly at a dinner party thrown by her friend um, Gilbert Namje in Newton, uh, Connecticut. Uh, Namje noticed that McCormick was upset and wearing red sweatpants, which Namje found odd. Uh, McCormick had often dressed in much higher quality clothing. Um, she later left for her marital home in South Salem, New York, after a phone call from her husband. Um, although the couple argued and fought that evening, Durst maintained that he put his wife on a commuter train to New York City at uh, Katona Station, um, had a drink with a neighbor, and spoke to his wife at their Manhattan apartment by telephone later that night. Um, that's what I told police, Durst later told a documentary filmmaker. I was hoping that would just make everything go away. Uh, after McCormick left Namjay's house, she was supposed to have met Namjay at a pub called the Lions Gate in Manhattan. And when she failed to show up, Namjay became concerned and repeatedly called the police for several days. Late days later, Durst filed a missing persons report as well, and doorman at the building or and the building super, superintendent at the couple's apartment on Riverside Drive claimed to have seen McCormick there on February 1st. Uh, the day after she was last indisputably seen. Uh, but the doorman also said that he had seen her only from behind and from half a block away and couldn't be certain that it was actually her. A private investigator hired by Durst's own criminal lawyer later reported that the doorman had uh, had not seen McCormick arrive at all and may have been working the, the may not have been working the night that she disappeared. Um, she was treated at a Bronx hospital for facial bruises three weeks before her uh, disappearance. She told a friend that Durst beat her but did not press charges over the incident and McCormick asked Durst for a $250,000 divorce settlement. Instead, he canceled her credit card, removed her name from a joint bank account and refused to pay for her medical school tuition. At the time McCormick disappeared, Durst had been dating Prudence Farrow for three years and was living in a separate apartment. He initially offered $100,000 for his wife's return, then reduced the reward to $15,000. Wow, what a guy. Um, only three weeks after Durst reported McCormick missing, uh, the superintendent of Riverside Drive apartment found her possessions in a, uh, the building's trash compactor. Uh, when one of her friends and her sister found out that she had been reported missing, they broke into her cottage hoping to find her. Instead, they found the place ransacked and McCormick's mail left unopened and her belongings all in the trash. So basically he was cheating on her when she was married. She was trying to get the, uh, out of the marriage and everything, and he was just, you can't, leave, you can't leave me. Yeah, see, that's the problem with a lot of people, men and women both, when they get money. They think that they're above the law. They think that they're. That's above not even law. money. Money, you can take money out yeah, of the yeah, out of the true, uh, but uh, equation. High profile things like that. I mean, if she's asking him for a two hundred fifty thousand dollar divorce, even in the eighties, dude, that was a lot of money. Yeah, it I mean, was that's a lot just of short money. of a million dollars nowadays. But in all reality, 
if you look at okay, if you look at it this way, you take money out of the equation, it was a controlling factor. Yeah. He wanted to do whatever he wanted. He didn't care about her. She knew this. She wanted a divorce. She wanted out of the situation. She wanted out. She was trying to get out of a brutal situation, and he just wouldn't do it right. because he was a douchebag. Well, everybody knew that. I mean, we can obviously say that in hindsight, but yeah. Um, let me see here. Uh, but eight years after her disappearance, Durst actually divorced her, claiming spousal abandonment. Um, and when you you know you look at this, and we keep talking about it, and even with our how to how to uh, how to defend against a serial murder episode that we had last week. I mean, this guy, classic narcissist. You know, he's like, I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you. I get my cake and eat it too, but you have to live under lock and key uh, because you're trash. And then if anything goes south, it's always the other person's fault. Because Well, she wasn't trash. She was already going to medical school. I'm not saying she was. I'm saying that that's his point of view. And that's probably well, no, the way. That... Well, just by the fact that he, he filed for divorce and was granted the divorce under grounds of spousal abandonment. I mean that's him putting all of the all the problems in the marriage on her. Yeah. Now to this date, she has not been found. Um, in May of this year, the investigators uh, reclassified her disappearance as a murder, and they're now reopening the investigation. So. I wonder how that's going to work out when you don't have a body. I think at this point, even if they were to find the body. Well, he did already confess to it. So Well, he did confess to it, so I think that that's what they're going off of. However, um, like you said, without the supporting evidence of the quote-unquote smoking gun of a body, um, there's still going to be things like forensic evidence, um, even though it's been like 20 years plus. Well, it's been like 30 years since she disappeared. Because um, she, she disappeared in 81, right? Yeah. So it's been 30 years, okay? 80 to 90, 90 to 0, and then, so it's been 30 years. 40, no, so it's been 44, oh, yeah, it's been 30 years. Um, so, you know, we're looking at, you know, because they're, they're constantly solving cold cases anymore nowadays, okay? And they're using, they're using forensic evidences, they're using physical evidence. The only thing that they don't have like, like you said, is the body. So that's going to be the one thing. Now, they can try them, try him for murder if by some stroke of miracle that she shows up alive, well, assuming a fake name. Obviously, the murder charge would get dropped. But at the same time, you know, they do have, for all intents and purposes, an uncoerced uh, coerced, that's the word I'm looking for, an uncoerced uh, admission by Durst uh, given to us by that hot mic in that courtroom bathroom. Even if he said he was under math at the time, like you said, you, you know, there's that old adage that what you say under the influence is what you really mean. Oh, yeah. You know, so I, I don't see him getting out of that. It's up to the prosecution at that time, you know, at this point, the investigating team and the prosecution to connect the dots to make it sound as possibly airtight as they can. Um, now, if they drop the ball on this and he gets off on a technicality, hey, I, I, you know, honestly, I hate it for the McCormick family. But just like with other cases that we have profiled, you know, like with the Kaylee Anthony thing, you know, the, the, the Casey Anthony, uh, the, the, the prosecution team that was investigating Casey Anthony, they couldn't hang the kid's murder, you know, the daughter, Kaylee's murder on, on, on Kay, uh, Casey mm. because they dropped the ball. The investigating team, the prosecution team for this particular, for, for the McCormick case, they have the opportunity to get it right. And I pray that they're able to do that. Well, they've, they've had an extra year on this because of COVID. True. Now, whether or not they've all taken the year off, like most branches of government have, um, if they did, shame on them. I mean, they, they need to be doing their due diligence on this because, I mean, the, the evidence that they've already got, 
it's already getting old. It's, 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 you know, any DNA evidence, I mean, they may still be able to pull trace, trace, trace amounts of DNA on things that might or might not be out there. And I can't tell that that face that you were making was either uh, a look of disgust or, yeah, I was going to say it's either that or it's a, a, an attempt to suppress a yawn. Yeah. But uh, thank you for not doing an open mouth yawn because those things are contagious. So Those are. I mean, even though Mythbusters proved that they weren't physically, but still I think it's a psychosomatic response. But it really is a psychosomatic response. Um, the investigation for, for the McCormick case became uh, public in November 2000. Um, now, there was a wrongful death suit lawsuit filed by McCormick's sister, Carol Bamonte. That was all three sisters, I think. Yeah, uh, they just and the mother. This yeah, this article just names the sister, uh, but that was filed in August of 2019. Uh, the death date for McCormick has been changed, most likely, or to, to be most likely at the time that she disappeared in '82, uh, due to murder instead of the previous determination of '87 for a missing person. So now the one thing that's probably going to hang them up on uh, to dry on this mm-hmm. is the. Uh, killing and dismemberment of uh, Morris Black because they found everything for that one yeah they did but they found the body uh, the police searched his rental car yielding $37,000 in cash two guns marijuana Black's driver's license a direction to uh, the Gilbert Najim uh, home in Connecticut and uh, Durst used his time to run to stalk his brother Douglas, so I guess he was going to kill his brother too. Well, here's the thing: that's a that that, that could have that could have a multiple outcome um, with one fell swoop if Durst cooperates with the authorities and leads them to her body. That's going to do a couple of things. That's going to give the the investigators an, an opportunity to do a forensic autopsy. Or autopsy to, you know, determine the actual cause of death, uh, whether it be through strangulation or whatever. I mean, even if it's just at this point skeletal remains, which, let's all be honest, that's what they're going to have. Um, they should be able to determine at some point if, if he strangled her, there's going to be damage to the uh, cervical uh, vertebra. Yeah. Okay. Um, if there, If it was... Any other cause of death, there's going to be markings on the bones, uh, either in the rib cage, the skull. I mean, they're going to they'll, they'll be able to examine the, the the skeletal remains and determine an actual cause of death. Um, I don't know that long. Uh, it's one of those things that an animal could have gotten if it's if it's if buried he, pretty if, good. If, if he buried her pretty decently, yeah. But they would be able to determine what was done post mortem or not. Okay. They, 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 they've got tricks that they are not tricks. They have methods upon which they can determine mortem or postmortem. So, uh, that's a, the forensic, and I don't science, even know if I'm applying that properly, but I the mean, the forensic I, science is always, it's still now, yeah, amazes I, me a lot. Now the public court or the public or the court of public, the court of public opinion, I can speak, I promise. Um, just like we discussed with the Kaylee, or Kaylee Anthony case that they've got that CSI syndrome where they give forensic, you know, forensic scientists uh, a lot more credit than they actually have just based on the limits of technology that we have in place versus CSI Miami, CS, which by it was the superior CSI show. Anyways, I digress. Um, I didn't stand on the show. Oh, I loved it, especially, you know, like, you know, you get that meme with Horatio Kane, he's standing there over the body, and you got Diego, he's like, well, uh, Lieutenant, there was traces of semen found in the victim's ear and then you see Horatio go well I guess you can say that the victim puts on his sunglasses and goes saw the murderer coming and yet <laughs> you know you get the opening with the anyways what? we're getting back you, you never Did, saw okay like you know, you always had that that I've, that, saw, that I, I've seen pause. I've seen I've seen I've seen that it was a meme yeah I know it was a meme and I've actually seen a couple of episodes and yeah he did it way too much yeah, it, it was it was it was so bad it made it into an episode of Supernatural. Okay, and if you remember, they actually turned it into an episode of Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was a great episode. That was a great show. But um, 
you know, so the, the, the court of public opinion needs to kind of sit back and let the investigating team do what it needs to do. Now, the McCormick family stands to get closure from this, especially if he does say, yes, I did kill her. Here's where she's buried. At least at this point, they'll be able to, one, pin down a definitive date of death. Two, there'll be a smoking gun so they can test the body forensically to, you know, the, the, the remains to see what, what caused the death, when the death was, and things of that nature. The McCormick family has the opportunity to have an actual body to bury, and it will give them absolute closure. And this might be the nail in the de- you know, in the coffin for Mr. Durst to actually get the death penalty. Now, I, I, you know what, and to be honest, I, I don't know if, I don't think New York has the death penalty anymore. But regardless, the guy's never going to see the light of day as a free man again. But this, uh, the investigating team has the opportunity to close this out on as positive a note as possible. And that is to give the McCormick family absolute closure by having a body to bury so that when they go to the cemetery, they're not visiting an empty grave. Yeah. But um, then there's, there's Susan Berman, his uh, second victim, a longtime friend who had facilitated uh, his His public alibi alibi after McCormick disappeared, was the daughter of David Berman, a a reputed gangster who in the late 40s operated the Flamingo Hotel and uh, Casino in Las Vegas. He's one of those old school gangsters, right? Um, On November 24th of 2000, Berman was found murdered execution style in her home in Benedict County, Los Angeles. After her neighbors called the police to report that her back door was open and her three Fox Terriers were loose. A few days later, the Beverly Hills Police Department received a handwritten note postmarked December 23rd, which contained Berman's address and the word cadaver. Durst is known to have been in Northern California days before Berman was killed and to have flown from San Francisco to New York the night before Berman's body was discovered. Berman had recently received $50,000 from Durst in two payments, although Durst confirmed that the um, confirmed to the LAPD that he had sent Berman twenty-five grand. In fact, investigators a copy of her eighty-two or deposition regarding his missing wife. Uh, he declined to further be questioned about the murder. Um, he did say in a two thousand five deposition or deposition that Berman called him shortly before her death to say that the LAPD wanted to talk to her about McCormick's disappearance. So, you know, with this one, I think he was covering his ass. Because that was probably the only person that was alive that could actually tie him to the McCormick murder before he hot-miked himself. But um, um, let me see here. A, case, a study of case notes by The Guardian, which is a newspaper, cast doubt on whether the LAPD had made such a call or whether then Winchester County District Attorney Gina Perino um, had scheduled an interview with Berman at all. Durst went into hiding and moved to Galveston, Texas in 2000, disguising himself as a woman to avoid police inquiries. It's funny that he took the... Um, that he took that route. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a... Well, that's an odd... That's an odd choice. No, sometimes you gotta dress up like uh, he. He probably watched. Uh, what was that? Uh, there's this really. Uh, oh man, I can't remember the show, but this guy. He always did that to deter like hunters and stuff. God, what was it called? I and it, and, it, and it was like a documentary type deal. Man, I can't remember. Well, I mean, it's... it's it might it's, have just been Bugs Bunny. Well, whenever whenever, <laughs> whenever the Texican army, whenever the Texan army, when they won their independence from Mexico, whenever they found... Um, Santa Ana? Santa Ana. He was dressed as a woman. Mm, was yep. he? I thought yeah, he, he was. was. I thought he was they just caught dressed him. as like a regular nope. soldier. He, they caught him wearing a woman's dress, and they... They put him in a cage and they carried him through the streets dressed as a woman. <laughs> so I'm like that, and that's why that made me kind of like, I'm like, man, that historically sounds awfully familiar. And, and like, you oh, just let me ramble about the Bugs Bunny thing and not even chiming in. You're a douchebag. <laughs> well, how many times <laughs> have I sat here and gone off on a tangent, and you've been over there typing, and you're like. 
oh, well, here's the facts, you know, and like, so suck it up, buttercup. But uh, let me see here. Susan Berman. That's because I want you to feel that you actually know what you're actually talking about. Well, I was extending you. Most of the time it's, it's hey, you're right, it's this, but let me add in a little bit of stuff and everything. I'm just going to. You, you need to get closer to your microphone, sir, because you, you were trailing off there. But that's okay. Because I was you, trailing off for a reason. You were shrinking in your confidence. In the, yeah, it so, was just totally gone right there. No, you, you know what? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take that one. I'll own that one. But, uh, you know, mo- like most of the most of the people that we profile on this show, I mean, this guy, seriously, I mean, he had, he had too high of an opinion of himself. Um, he viewed himself as untouchable. Obviously, he was getting... Getting caught left and right. Now, on the untouchable stuff, that is given into the money. A lot of people that do actually have a lot of money think they, they can get away with anything. Yeah. So, it, it really is one of those things to where uh, if I had $50 million, yeah, I can do whatever I want. If I find a woman attracted, she should be attracting me with for that $50 million and not my actual attitude yeah i'm not gonna lie of course it I also mean, it also goes goes out to that meme that i found and it was uh it was this hot beautiful six foot woman of course she was in hills and the person that she was with was probably around four to five feet tall now i'm not saying that i would become like this arrogant Rick, if I was a multimillionaire, though, I would keep probably the biggest shark lawyer that I could find in either the Metroplex or the Houston area, and I would keep them on retainer specifically for the purposes that if anybody pissed me off, I would I would drag them into court, and I would basically own everything that they ever dreamed imaginable, <laughs> just just to make their lives miserable. But they would I mean. And, to, to quantify that, I wouldn't do it out of just sheer boredom. No, it would, it would be like, you have absolutely wronged me, and now you are going to feel the retribution. That's all that that would be. But it wouldn't be me going out committing murders and then thinking, oh, I'm just going to hire this badass lawyer and I'm going to get away with it. No, God, no, seriously? Because I still have to look myself in the mirror at night. And I, I just, despite what some people in this world may might try to make you believe about me I am not that big of a prick I don't know there's certain days that I just question that you say that you're not a horrible person it's like saying that you're not a horrible person but everybody around you is just like are you shitting me you're you're a shit pump but in, in all reality you're a nice person I wanted to use that word okay that's why I'm giving you the I slow know. applause because you have managed to move that word and inject it into the um, into the conversation. Yes. So, yeah. It took and, and, it, t- it took me and, two and you, episodes. And you did me. it. And you did it with 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 a with a with a respectable amount of contextual cohesion. So very well done, sir. I I, I feel good about myself. Good. You should. I, good, I feel job. good. Good job. But, yeah, this guy was just one of those, I'm rich, I should be able to get away with anything. So, on the theme of that, me being a shit pump, giving you the congratulatory, uh, <laughs> you know, accolades that, that you do. Now, tonight, when you go home and you rub one out into your lucky sock, you, you won't have to cry because you've accomplished something today. It's too worn out. I gotta get a new sock. That reminds me, I gotta go to Walmart right before we. It's kind of worn out. You have reached the portion of tonight's episode where, where kids should not listen. You have reached the. You have reached the roasting part of the episode. Yes. Where the hosts seemingly you know, turn was, on each other. I, I think we should do that at least. Uh, Everyone's well. We do it anyway, so we can't really say. Oh, on this episode at this time frame, we got to roast each other. No, we will eventually do it. No, because then at that point, people start fast forwarding to that particular timestamp, 
just to get it. No, no, no. We want you to enjoy our content. Find out about some of these shit bags or shit bombs. Shit bombs. Yeah. God, I I I heard that off of a Cleared Hot podcast, and it was a Canadian chick that said it. And Andy was right. That's one of the vocabulary that should be going into somebody's sentences on a daily basis. You know, when when you when you texted me that, you were like, "Ship hump." I'm gonna use start using that on the show. I was like, "No, it wasn't just on the show. It's just right. in, in just life. in general life." Okay, so the show Trailer Park Boys, the 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 super of of the the, the trailer park. I cannot remember his name off the top of my head. The actor who played him is dead now, but he he would always um, he'd always use the word shit in in you know, like it's a shit hawk or it's a uh, I guess shit that's a Canadian thing. Shit sandwich. I think it might be a Canadian thing. I'm not entirely sure because Australian and, and uh, English Australians use the words cunt and twat and yeah, yeah. no, I, I get that, but uh, yeah, I and think that might be just it, it's almost like our fuck. <laughs> It really is. It is. It is. Because we have a different vernacular for fuck, like a different vernacular for cunt in Australia. Because you could be a sweet cunt, or you could just be a borderline cunt. Or, yeah. I mean, it just rolls. Or Carl Urban, a.k.a. You know, and Billy I'm so Butcher in, in, in The Boys. I use like, that. Oh, isn't that the invisible cunt? Yeah. And and working with uh, uh, some British uh, cooks, they would do the cunt thing all the time. And what I love about I've the gotten, Brits is that they use terms like "fuck all" or "wanker" or "wanker." Yeah. Wanker. That is an absolute gem right there because it's not completely and totally offensive. I mean, you're not gonna. You could use the word "wanker" here, contextually. And it, and, and it would be just derogatory as hell, but people will accept that a whole lot more in this country as opposed to you saying, quit being such a cunt. You know what's really strange is... Uh, I, forget, I forget who it was, but he was on a, a British uh, radio show, and they were talking about language and everything, and he goes, yeah, and he let the word... Uh, fuck slip out of his mouth and the radio host didn't say anything but when he said pissed he had to go it was like oh I'm sorry for that foul language that we had I was like that set it off really it, it, it's, it just goes to show what kind of different culture it, it is and, and I was like I was talking to a, a Norwegian chick uh, her husband was, I think I said this, her husband was down here for uh, mm-hmm. training, for uh, pilot training. And she was, I was looking through my phone to show her uh, a couple of stuff off the podcast and uh, a lot of, some other stuff. And yeah. I was just like, porn, porn, porn. And she was like, I don't get uh, Americans' uh, hatred for porn. I was like, I'm gonna, what? I was like, you got to understand, Oregon has the Amsterdam to where we had the red light district. I was like, oh, yeah, I know the red light district. And it's just, they have nudity in their yeah, commercials. Yeah, the European culture, as far as, like, their telecommunications is concerned, TV, they have they have allowances for nudity. And we're talking about full frontal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, or I've seen topless. some of the Yeah, you know, and, and to them, it's it's mainstream. They've They've normalized it. Where here... It's more of a, I mean, it's still considered a lot of taboo, and it's still considered a lot of times, in a, a lot of times inappropriate. Um, like, okay, so for example, and, 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 and I know we're getting off base here, and I, I think we've all we, but, we've all finished, but, all we've but wrapped episode, up Robert Durst. Episode, but, and we're not going to be able to do this with our next episode because we're actually doing an interview. Yeah. Um, so but the, the the, you remember the show Stargate SG-1? Yeah. Okay, when it was on Sci-Fi Channel and everything like that, right? Yeah, I still watch it. Right. Well, if you go to Netflix and you watch it now, there's actually nudity in that show. Yeah. Uh, I think that's because the first two seasons were Showtime. No. No. Yeah. Was it? First two seasons were on Showtime, and then Sci-Fi picked it up. Yeah, but even the Sci-Fi, the the episodes that were supposed to be on Sci-Fi, on Netflix, Mm -hmm. there are scenes 
where there is where there is nudity. Yeah, it's the first two seasons. Uh, I know the first two seasons. I'm seeing, you know, a lot of you know. I'm seeing topless we can, scenes. We can get Kai. But that struck me as. Um, and it was the first episode. Right with. Um, <clears throat> With the with the with the, uh, the 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 I cannot remember his name Dan Daniel's wife yeah she was stripped down by uh, Ra not Ra but uh, one of the other one of the other gods right yeah I, I when I saw that scene I was like I don't remember this you know oh I remember because I watched the first season when it was on Showdown yeah well I mean I didn't get okay for those of us who did not have the premium channels growing up. Uh, or, oh, I didn't have it either. It was free for that month, and it came up. Oh, uh, well, okay. Well, that makes sense. But uh, I was like, eh? okay. You know, and I'm just like, okay, because it really kind of made it like like kind of a new show for me because I'm like sitting there going, what other things did network TV cut out of it? You know, and I'm just like, and it's not that, that, the, that the nudity makes a show more intriguing. Uh, that's like, I got hooked on the show Outlander. Outlander is obviously it's a Stars Network show, a Stars Channel show. So I mean it's it's premium. It's a it's a cable show. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have more liberties. There is an <clears throat> there is an incredible amount of nudity in that show. And I'm like, okay, you know, and what was the whole reason why I watched Spartan for the first uh, no, a couple of Spartacus days? or whatever? Because all it was was blood and tit and ass. Yeah, see, but like, and this is where you're gonna hear a lot of people like. But it was. A good I, I show. can almost hear. I can hear almost hear Obi Wan Kenobi, and it's almost as if a thousand voices cried out, and then suddenly there was silence. I can't stand Game of Thrones. I think I made it about three quarters of the way through the first episode, and anytime you saw anything about that show, it was about the amount of nudity in that show, and I'm like. There's got to be, I mean, and, and I know that the, the, the novel is that, you know, the novels that the, the show was based off of, great series of books, but I think the producers went so heavy towards the, towards the nudity side of it, I think that really kind of like, that, that's kind of what the show became, was just this huge eight season long softcore porn that was built around dragons. Well, have you ever seen the uh, show Banshee? Yeah. Yeah, I I started watching that um, because it's on on HBO Max, the entire series is. And Tony Starr, the guy that that plays the main character in the show, he he plays... Who's Homelander. Yeah, he plays Homelander in The Boys. And that's the only reason why I started watching it because I was like, oh, cool, because I... I, I like his portrayal of Homelander. And I'm like, what other stuff has he been in? And, and I follow his Instagram account, and he was talking about Banshee being on, or Banshee being on uh, HBO Max. And I was like, oh, cool. So I started watching Dude, it. Dude, it's the second episode. And it's not because of the nudity or anything. Yeah. It was just he prison beat that motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you he, talking about the, you're talking and about and the he, gangster? No, it wasn't the gangster. The, the, it was the uh, MMA fighter. Yeah. Yeah. And he prison beat him. Yeah. And he he made sure that he would never do MMA ever again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It it it's it's definitely uh I don't know. It, it's it's definitely one of those things where we uh you know, we can I mean, we we could have this this debate you know, the, this is one of these things that we not necessarily debate, but we can have a discussion about it at nauseum. But I mean, the differences between do, American that, culture that was, a, that was another thing, and I that might be a good you. episode. That might be a good topic for a, a what we the hell. We could do that. We could do that uh, for Sunday's episode. And yeah. what we could do is, is we can do the interview. I can put it up as fast as possible in Sunday's episode. We get a bonus episode because I, I I realized that while uh, saying that Sunday mm-hmm. that we were going to do a. Uh, if we have an interview with somebody, we're going to put it up as fast as possible to help that person out, whatever right. uh, stuff they have. And then we'll still, I mean, we could do a, the actual Sunday show Friday. Yeah. You know, get it recorded on Friday and then put it on a Sunday. You want to do it that way? Yeah. Um, 
because this won't this won't happen until uh, Saturday, anyways. So, but uh, yeah, it. Uh, I'm trying to see here. Hold on, just a second. Let me look at my phone here. Is it sad that most of the time your phone's faster than the actual? computers that you use? Well, you know, and it's funny because um, you would think that when you open up, like, you know how Chrome is, if you got Chrome synced, you can just resume on different devices where you were browsing before. Safari's not so much that way. And I, I, what do you mean? <sighs> because you just, you press the ad and you can go to another page. Yeah, you can. But like, if I've got a page that had already been pulled up, uh, on my phone, it's not pulled up on my iPad. You can airdrop it. Yeah, you can, but you know, how like Chrome, you sh you know, you can. Your pages are open. You know, it's really strange devices. though. And I found out that if I have my phone up and I'm looking at something, mm -hmm. and because of my Mac, I can go ahead and click it on my Mac and it goes straight through it. Yeah, because you can send it there. But no. It automatically pops well, up. Well, yeah, because I guess with the uh, the uh, the Mac OS, yeah, but as yeah, far it as automatically like, pops up. Yeah, the iOS it doesn't doesn't work. Like that if way. I'm doing uh, uh, messages or something like that, yeah. it'll automatically pop up on my phone. But uh, the interview that David was talking about is going to be Kurt Schwab. He is a uh, Republican uh, gubernatorial candidate for the state of Texas. Um, we're going to have him on the show. Oh, how'd you like that interview with uh, Adam West? I still gotta uh, look at the full interview with Alan West. Yeah, because um, he's yeah. a contender too. Yeah, because Colonel, uh, Colonel Alan West yeah. moved to the state of Texas, and he is—he's dropped his hat to the ring. And he—he he made some valid points. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm so glad that popped up. Yeah, give me, give me some more. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, we're we're gonna try to you know bring a lot of current event type. I mean, some of the. We, we, we've kind of prided ourselves as far as staying away from, you know, episodes solely based on politics. Yeah, we're going to make a... F I'm, I made, like, probably about two to three episodes on just basically politics. Yeah, but what we're going to do, uh, specifically as it relates to this election cycle for the state of Texas, because obviously we've got a lot of dog in the hunt here because we live here. And, and elections, they do have consequences. So, I mean... If if I'm going to endorse, or if this if we as an as an entity as Angry Me Production is going to endorse a specific candidate, I want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence. Well, I look at it this way: I'm going to put uh, all of them on notice because I'm I'm, I'm with uh, a couple of other people that I listen to that I think all politicians. Politicians would be, you know, should be defunded, but yeah. because they they wait, make way too much money. They they do, and and you know one of the things that I think needs to happen is that whenever you serve your two terms in Congress, I think there needs to be term limits in Congress. But when you serve out your two terms, you don't get your congressional paycheck for life. No, you you return to civilian service. I think it's a little bit longer than that. I think you had like ten years. Uh, no, it's not. You could be a one and done, and you'll collect a con uh, congressional paycheck or a legislative paycheck for the rest of your life. And I think that if we eliminated that, we could we, we could save our country a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Because when you go into public service, you don't do it for the money. You do it for the betterment of your constituency, and that's it. So, I mean, I think that we need to reintroduce term limits. And Ted Cruz, I believe, has introduced a bill on more than one occasion to to uh, put term limits back into place. And in of course, he's also trying to get rid of the IRS too. And we know we can do a show around that. But like you and I discussed the other day when we were lining out our questions. Yeah, and also we need to do. We could do one instead of doing like it's just crazy politicians. Yeah, we can, but that that has the that has the potential for becoming a dangerously long episode. Well, if we do it to where to the point where what actual politicians say, like uh, that, uh, or if we're going to do an episode like that, we need to put a clock, <coughs> and we do like lightning round where well, we can politicians do get five minutes apiece. Well, you know? we can do it. We can do it like uh, Fast Fridays. Yeah, we can. Do it but, five uh, minutes. But for uh, but as far as uh, uh, 
this episode of Psychos Kurt and Psychos. Schwab, yeah. Well, as far as our interview coming up, be, be on the lookout for that episode. That's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to... We're going to do the interview on Wednesday. I'll probably have it up probably about Thursday. Okay. Yeah, so be, be on the lookout for that. Um, and that and this is this is one of these topics, and I know that we're, we're cutting it off because of time here, but when we interview political candidates, regardless of what side of the aisle that they're on, we want you, our listeners, our fans, our super fans, we're looking at you, Maria, um, get engaged. You know, sound off, because while I I deplore the animity that a keyboard and a, and a computer screen gives you, this is an open forum. This is an opportunity for you, the the listener. As long to, as you don't do any kind of yeah, don't don't don't, don't 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 be don't be derogatory. Don't be disparaging. If if you're going to be don't a part be a of the if, if yeah, don't be a shit pump. If if you're going to be part of the of the discussion. Bring something substantive. Bring something that's going to help advance the discussion as opposed to stalling it out because I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste David's time, and he doesn't want to do, and neither one of us want to waste your time addressing something that's not going to be productive or constructive as it relates to the advancement of that discussion or that debate. And and this is the last thing when we'll sign off is I don't want our show to be politically entertaining. No, it's it, not. It's it not talk changes. radio. <clears throat> because like political co- uh, comedians, if they don't have if they don't have that guy that's in office, they're not a comedian anymore half the time. Yeah, Johnny Carson said it. Is that like night show night talk show hosts? They're talk show hosts. They're entertainers. And the second that they start commenting on politics. And they start making political satire. They stop being entertainers and they become commentators. And that is that's something that we don't want to be. We don't want to be a commentator. We're here for informational purposes. We're here for entertainment. And we don't want to be. We don't want to become a naval, or a, a news a cable news network. That's that's not what we're here for. That's not what this show is garnered around. That's not what we're geared for. But having said all that, be on the lookout for for these upcoming interviews. Uh, give us a smash that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, get involved with the comment section on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Go ahead and give us a follow, leave some reviews. Five stars, five stars. We don't take anything less. Yeah, nothing less than five <coughs> stars. Uh, get involved with our Patreon. Because you can tell us how much of a shit bags, uh, shit pumps we are, and still give us five stars. Yeah, exactly. Um, get involved with our Twitter account uh, at Angry Me Production One. On Twitter, uh, give us a follow on our Instagram account. Basically, look for all of our social media accounts. Get involved with us as humanly possible. But until then, I'm Johnny Skelton. I'm David Dickerman. And, and this is Psychos and Sociopaths. See you all next week. Thank you.